Hello and welcome to this week's Alpha Podcast. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle, joined again by Phil Oakley. How are you doing, Phil? Yeah, I'm all right. Thanks, John. We're going to talk about a few companies today uh, that uh, we've spoken about before, but um, but but they're always uh, there's always interesting things going on uh, at them. We have uh, some news from Games Workshop, uh, Fever Tree Drinks, and BT, um, all of which we have spoken about before, as I've just said. Um, so, Phil, where do you want to start? Should we start with Games Workshop, which uh, which, as I say, we've spoken about lots before. We've been sceptical at times. We've 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 changed our view at times. This week, the market's changed its view a little bit because of a, what really is a rather nondescript trading update. What, what did you make of it? Uh, not a lot, really. Um, I think, you know, I think if you're going to come out and, you know, give a trading update to investors, I'm all, I'm all for sort of conciseness. But I think, you know, a little bit of colour... Um, would have been helpful, you know, to come out and say, you know, results are in line with expectations, despite the fact that shop our shops have been shut and we've had a bit of uh, distribution disruption and then leave it at that. I think a lot of people were nonplussed. Um, and I, I can kind of understand and understand why, why, they, were, why they were nonplussed. Um but having said that, I don't really think the the underlying story has has really really changed here. I think you got to put got to put things into into perspective. You know, this this company has been on you know an incredible run. You know, in terms of trading momentum, that really has been going on for the best part of five years. Um, and what we saw last year um, was just something I think that we'll come back and we'll look at was exceptional. Um, if you look at the first the first half results that were released a few weeks ago, back in back in January, middle of January, um, you know the company was saying there's a thirty percent increase in in production. I mean that's an that's an incredible number, and it's you know it can be explained by two or three things. I mean, firstly, you know, they, they shut down the factory sort of from March to the end of May last year. So there was a backlog. Uh, then I think, I think you will have got some additional COVID spend, which is people feeling a bit flusher because they've saved a bit of money. And then generally you've got the, the uh, ongoing momentum in, in the business. And this is a business which has got some fantastic economics, really. It's selling products that, you know, give or take, are uh, selling at 70% gross, gross profit margins. So to put that in simple terms, they make something for 30 and sell it for 100. Um, they then do that on a cost base, which has got a lot of fixed costs. And you get to a situation where you're, factories and production lines are absolutely humming and all that extra production and sales a large chunk of it drops through to to profits through something which is called operational leverage or operational gearing and this is why the profits of of get workshop have just seen incredible incredible growth and i think people are a bit disappointed that you know 
the company hasn't come out and said that profits are ahead of expectations. And there's a lot of debate as to, you know, well, what are the expectations anyway? Yeah, you suggest in your Alpha report that, um, I mean, there's a general view on social media that, this, the, 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 uh, that Games Workshop's management kind of game the expectations. So they're lowballing and then beating them. Um, and, uh, I mean, that, that, as you say in your report, there, there are reasons why that possibly can't be true. Um, but yeah. but uh, but I guess the expectation is that that will happen every time. So when it doesn't happen, there's dis- they're disappointed. Yeah, well, I think I think the point to get across is that is that sales or revenues don't have to be much better than the management expects because of the drop through, because of the profitability. You don't have to have much higher sales than than what people are expecting for profits to actually be expectations and sometimes by quite a lot. The other, the other thing as well is that you have royal, royalty revenue where the company signs deals with you know, computer games manufacturers or um, you know, video games. There's a, there's a film on the way and that kind of thing, and merchandise. People, people take the, the Warhammer brand and, and the revenues from that are are virtually pure profit and so you can get you can get um a royalty contract signed very close towards the year end which gets booked into the numbers and that can make a big difference as well um but i think you know there is some disappointment out there that this is this is the momentum in this business And what I mean by that, a business that is beating expectations sometimes by quite a long way, uh, may have run out of steam for for a while at least. I mean, they said in January that December trading was broadly in line, and now they're saying that the first quarter, which is from November to the end of February, is is in line. What you've got to take into account is that those those in-line numbers are very good, Mm. you know, this is this is a, this is a company that's you know make, doing really well, and the fact that it's not doing better than really well is okay. You'd always want it to be doing a bit better, but it's not something I think I think that you know you should be really down downbeat about. I mean, there is an argument that that it was you know it was beating expectations during a time when um, people were. And it stuck at home. It had put itself in a very good position to capitalise on on lockdown, um, and that's coming to an end. Um, so, so you know, like many companies, that perhaps that lockdown effect is just starting to moderate a little bit here. And people, people have perhaps got used to the idea that this was always going to continue when we knew it was going to come to an end at some point. Really, yeah, I think I think the lockdown is part of it. I think there's a, I think there's generally good momentum in this business anyway, and I think there has been some catch up from. Um, you know the shutdown in the spring in the spring of last year, and the thing is now, if you, you know, if you start looking at what you know what the profits are likely to be for the this year, which ends in the end of May, I think they're still probably going to be better than what you know consensus have got in. I think consensus is sort of mid hundred and forties million. You know, the company made ninety and a bit. In the first half, it, it needs to have a very sluggish second half to 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 not beat consensus. So I think it probably will will beat consensus. And I think if you look at the fourth quarter, it's now coming up against a much softer comparative 
from a year ago when the shops were shut and and, and the factory was, was was shut. So I think I think that that means there should be no worry about you know about about the numbers. And I I think for what it's worth, this is a company that will still do 150 million of operating profit at least, which is you know fabulous year on year year on year progress. And then, and then you just—I think you just got to take a step back and look at what's going on in the company here. Huge amounts of work going on with—I mean, this this company has got so much intellectual property; it doesn't really know what to do with it. It's got so many options to create um, new storylines, new products, new games, new add-ons to games, and you know, you, if you follow it and you can sign up. You can sign up to the Warhammer community, and you can sign up to emails. And I, you know, I'm getting three emails a week from Games Workshop telling me what's going on. And so, so the release schedule is is pretty good. Now, what you don't know is how well it's going to go down with customers, and you know, are they going to keep keep buying at the levels that they were they were buying before? But you know, one of the things that I've always not always said, but I've, I've sort of the more I've looked at it and the reason why you know I still like this company is that if you look at what's been going on in the last in the last few years, it's been very good um, at two things. You know, you actually look into the detail. It's been very good at adding new new products, new revenue streams, but it's also been very good at growing its existing streams. You know, bringing new customers in and and so on. So I, I think I think this is okay. You know, you know the valuations come down a lot. You know, not not so long ago we we were talking about a company that was trading on forty times forecast earnings. You know, you know you could have had the debate of of what the earnings number should have been, but you know now you're on something that's on twenty five times. You know, for highly profitable business, global business, Grow, growing at a Growing at a pace, still. Yeah, growing, growing decently, and I think you know there's a lot to lot, lot to like about it. Okay, you know we, we've, you know you look at a share price that you know has it just looks you know you got like a vertical line going upwards, and you know common sense tells you that that's not that can't continue forever, and I think some sort of pause for breath um, is. Is not really unreasonable for for any kind of business, really. I mean, I, I looked at I looked at the whole, you know, as as the share price is rising. I mean, I like like you say, like and like you, I like Games Workshop. It's a great company, but when you see the the share price sort of starting to go parabolic and and kind of the uh, the action on social media, you know, starting to, to to really accelerate, you start to think people are ch- chasing the momentum here. This is going to run ahead of itself. And I think that I think some of that was happening. Um. But I, you know, the business is in very, very good, good shape. You know, it's got new production facilities that are about to open up if they haven't opened up already, and um, you know they've got the, the supply chains well invested. There's been a few teething troubles with that, but that that's going to sort itself out. So, you know, long term, you know, if you're if you've owned these shares for a long term, long time over the last few years. You're going to be very happy what with the profits that you're sitting on. If you are taking a you know a three to five year view from here, I think you should be 
pretty happy. Yeah, absolutely. Should we talk about Fever Tree? Um, which is is another one of those companies that that actually had a sort of you know very very steep uh, share price rise over the course of a couple of years um, into the middle of about two thousand and nineteen or thereabouts, um, and uh, then sort of uh, lost momentum, um, and then lost more momentum when 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 the world's bars and pubs got closed down. What what are we seeing now? We had some numbers this week. Is uh, is there light at the end of the the COVID tunnel for for Fever Tree? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think you know one of the, one of the interesting things about all this time that we're living through, and, I, and I've you know I write about this quite a lot in in you know in my weekly reports, is that you learn a lot about companies when times are bad. They tend to tend to you know things tend to force their hand to you know to explain things to you, and you know whilst they, whilst they haven't broken it out, you know. The, you know we know that the margins the margins that the the company makes on selling to um to pubs and bars and restaurants and hotels and the on trade um are very important because they're because they're higher probably quite a bit higher than what they sell to supermarkets and clearly with the pubs being shut down you know you've seen that in the results you know you've seen that the the gross profit margin and I think, you know, gross profit margin is something that I spend increasing amount of time looking at now. Um, you know, there are problems with, you know, definitions of what, what goes into cost of sales and so on. But it is a pretty good um, ready reckoner as to, as to the quality of the, of the business that you're looking at. You know, businesses with high gross profit margins um, that are sustainable tend to be, have the makings of quite, good investments and you know fever trees gross margins you know have been down and they and they've they've come down again also their their profit margins their ebitda margins have, have come down now going forward you know the company's saying it expects pubs to reopen it's it seems to be doing reasonably well in america now and there's some momentum in that business. They've invested in that business with distribution. They've got they've got a bottling partner now, which means that they don't have to supply the American market, um, in you know by putting fever tree in container ships and shipping them across the Atlantic and all the costs that are involved with that. Places like Australia, Canada, quite small, still in the context of the group, but actually do doing okay. The the UK business has is has been the key, you know, the key business. And they've done very, very well as, you know, people haven't been drinking gin and tonics and in pubs and they've been buying it in supermarkets instead. And sales have actually held up quite well. Um but it's the it's the effects it's the mix effects that's done the damage. I mean, it, these numbers that you, you outline in your alpha report, they're, these are I mean, you, these are not small falls in profit profit margins. They're, oh, they're no. pretty significant. So EBITDA margins are down about I mean, approaching seven percent. Yeah, I mean that, that's twenty nine that, to twenty two. Yeah, chunky. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, four hundred and thirty basis joint point drop in gross margins. Chunky. Yeah. Now, what you would hope for is that. 
when 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 the pubs start opening up again and you've got some cost efficiencies in the in your US business and the sales start growing again, you get some then leverage, you get some operating leverage, you would expect margins to start going up again to recover. And I think for me, what what was the really glaring bit of information from yesterday's results was that they said, yeah, we think we think sales can grow 12 to 16%, but we, we think the margins are going to be the same as, as last year. I mean, do you, do you think, uh, and, and you, you speculate about this in your AF report, that you know, they're cutting prices. Now, you know, pubs and bars have been through an absolutely horrific year. Um, so, so we're going to see, probably, at the end of this all, fewer pubs and bars, or the same amount of pubs and bars, but in the hands of fewer, stronger groups. Those groups, you would imagine, will have significant buying power and will be looking to, to cut costs wherever they can, given what they've been through over the last year and the restrictions that are likely to continue in some cases. Yeah, well, the company's not come out and said it's cutting prices. But, you know, if you, if you look at the gross margin effect, um, it's either expecting a very slow recovery in bars. <clears throat> there is a slightly dilutive gross margin effect in its in a German business that it bought last last year but even so you know it, it, it cut prices in America to get the sales going they could, it, it called it price optimization but you know likes of you and me it cut prices but it's an expensive product you know for what it is it's an ex, you know fever tree mixes are very expensive um, and it's been very good at persuading customers to buy them and i i think if you if you feed through and i think if you feed through the sales guidance the revenue guidance and the margin guidance you were getting a big big downgrade to forecasts you know at the top end of the range you get a 15 15 downgrade to earnings per share forecast is what i could see and if it came in at the 12 percent range you know you're talking bigger than that and you've got shares trading on 55 times earnings you know, after after the downgrade. And I, I just think this company has got a lot to prove. I think it's had a fantastic tailwind in, in the UK. And I'm not sure how much further it can go in the UK, really. Um, it, 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 it's, it's sewn up the pub market. You go to any pub, well, remember the days when we used to go in pubs? You know, you want a gin and tonic. So many more pubs, you know, just had exclusive, you know, fever tree. Um, and I'm not, I'm not sure how, how, how much more growth they can get out of this. People still seem to be drinking a lot of gin. And, and whilst there are, you know, other, other long drinks and cocktails, this is, this is primarily a tonic business in the UK. There can be no getting away from that. Less so maybe in, in other markets, but it's still essentially a, a tonic water story. And I just think I just think that even though the share price is almost halved from its peak, it's just valuation just looks ridiculous. Where are we at now with the valuation? Well, fifty-five times earnings. Yeah, that's that's punching. You know, on on, on you know on da- downgrade downgraded earnings. You know, at ten pounds a share, this would still be you know high twenties PE. Um. I, you know, don't get me wrong. The, the company's done some good work. 
you know, it's doing some good work and it's working hard and it's made a lot of progress in, you know, in foreign markets, overseas markets. But, you know, the expectations that are baked into this business are just very, very rich. You know, I ask yourself the question, what, what do you rather own? Games Workshop on 25 times earnings, um, you know, with profit margins in the 40s. Or would you rather own Fevertree, you know, with 20% operating margin where profit forecasts have just been cut? Well, I think it's a no-brainer. I think it's a no-brainer. Yeah. And it, I mean, it's, it's interesting. It's not a fair comparison, but, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, no, it, it is. People were comparing the two, the two stocks uh, when they were on their sort of march to 40 quid a share. Um, because that seemed to be what it was all about. Now, if that's what it's all about, then then actually it's just all about the numbers. And, and in the case of Games Workshop, their numbers are better. Simple as that. I actually, I don't obviously I don't play Games Workshop, but I do, and I but I do use Feverdreams products. I like the company. But if the numbers don't stack up, the numbers don't stack up. I think what what will happen now is that you know people. I don't know what people are going to do. I mean, for me, for me, those margin figures are the ones that you got to you got to focus on. You want you want to see some leverage, and you want to see see, see margins. You know, you could you can you can always cap your gross margins by re, you know by holding prices or cutting prices, and cut your gross margin and drive volume. You know, that's you know what sort of Reckitt Benkees is trying to do. You know, trying to drive sales, going to cut prices. But you drive volume and you drive margin through operational leverage, leveraging the fixed costs of your production. You see, there isn't a lot of fixed costs of production in Fevertree because it, somebody else does it. But you've got the leveraging, you've got leveraging of you know the marketing expenses and, you, and your labor costs and that kind. So the leverage effect's not as big here as it would be if they had you know bottling plants and, and so on. Although they are obviously there is a there is a charge for that, um, and I just think people are going to be be a bit wary of it. You know, if if the company and we need to get to the bottom of this. Who's to say I've got the wrong? I could have got the wrong end of the stick, but that's what it looks like. And if this company is perceived to maybe losing a bit of its pricing power, then you know it's a different. Different investment proposition altogether. All absolutely, absolutely. Um, should we talk about BT? Uh, now there is there is an investment proposition and a half. Um, I mean that share price, that's about as ugly as it gets, uh, and has been for many years. But 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 there seems to be a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel here. The the, the shares have ticked up in recent weeks. What's going on? Yeah. Why why is BT suddenly? Back in the spotlight and, and, and investable, dare I say it. <laughs> quite, quite a lot going on. I mean, we had, we had a situation a few weeks ago, or maybe I forget what it was, but not so long ago, the chairman's leaving. And, um, you know, read, you read around it and you get the impression that the chief executive maybe didn't like the chairman that much. And... Essentially said, well, it's it's him or me, and and the chief executive staying, and and the chairman's going. Yeah, it's usually now, it's usually the other way around. It's it's yeah. it's it's usually. The, I mean, the chairman selects the chief exec, so so that is an interesting power struggle, and and certainly an interesting result of that power struggle. If that's what's happened, yeah, uh, who knows? But something something needs to happen with BT. B, BT for years has been a mess. 
But it's had a couple of bits of good news this week. Um, it, it picked up probably a bit. There was a, there's been an initial auction for 5G mobile phone spectrum. And EE, which is BT's mobile arm, has been seen to do quite well out of that. Picked up <clears throat> what it needed, reasonable price, reinforces its position as leading mobile operator in 5G. And 5G, no one's really talking about 5G because not many people can get it still because the infrastructure has not been rolled out. But it will be transformational in terms of um, a user experience on a mobile device in terms of the speed and what you can do with it. So EE has, has given itself a very good platform to, to exploit that trend when it when it becomes rolled out to enough people to make some money out of it. And then the other thing yesterday um, was Ofcom came out and said that it wasn't going to regulate the prices that BT could charge for ultra-fast broadband or fibre to the premises. And like, there must be some water company chief executives and electricity network executives Spitting in their coffee when they when they uh, when they saw that, well, you know, having been having been told that they could earn what four or five percent return or whatever, and yeah, well, it looks like BT is going to be. A, I mean, BT is not going to be, you know, allowed to, you know, make monopoly profits out of this, but it looks like it's going to be able to make. 10 to 12% return on investment, which for a utility company is huge. I mean, it's it's a bit different. It's a bit different. I mean, I know Ofcom's got a bit of form when it comes to like not exactly regulating its market brilliantly. Um, but but it, but it is a bit different. I mean, there, you know, there are competitive broadband options out there. Um, so, you know, it's not going to have a monopoly position. Um, and this infrastructure is absolutely crucial to um to the, to the way the com- country operates particularly now you know we're likely to see that the working from home train continue for some time so so you know there there is a sort of political motivation for encouraging bt to invest in a seriously good fiber network you yeah. you can understand why that. it's happened yeah you know there's the likes of city fiber that will come and do it. but usually you don't really get i mean this is the kind of you know, leads to the debate. I mean, you're looking at like a natural monopoly here. You know, it doesn't really make sense to have three fiber optic cables going into your house. Um, hence, why you know that it's it's been a regulated a regulated business. And yes, there is there is competition in broadband, but it's but it's at the it's at the supply point, not at the infrastructure point. And I, I think this is interesting now for BT, and also you know it's. What's going to be regulated is what's now become what they call super fast broadband, which is sort of, you know, 70 meg per second fibre to the cabinet broadband, which lots more people are getting. That that will be regulated. Um, so PT looks like it's going to be spending about 12 billion, 12 billion pounds on this and taking the fibre to the premises from about 2 million or just over 2 million now to about 20 million over the next six, seven, eight years. I, and I think this, this is quite interesting because I, I wonder whether 
this kind of regulatory deal and certainty. So the, the prices on prices on fibre to the premises is not going to be regulated for 10 years. BT has always been talked about or speculated that they could spin off open reach, which is the the telecom influence. That's the sort of grid business, like the equivalent of like the national grid and a, and a distribution network, spin it off. And, you know, the, the, there are grounds for thinking that this is a business that has been undervalued by the stock market. Um, if you just look at it as a separate on a separate basis and you look at what you could actually get for this and you could spin off open reach, sort the pension fund out a bit. And then you're left with a rid of global services. That's just, I don't know what that's doing there. It just doesn't causing really Causing much. trouble. That's what it usually does. Yeah, it call, it's, a, it's a problem child that doesn't really add much. And they need to get rid of it, in my opinion. And then you're left with a consumer business with a very strong mobile phone business and a, broad, a, a broadband business um, to businesses and to, and to households. The one thing that they've got to sort out, I think, is the, is the sports strategy as well. They're spending a lot of money on sports content, particularly football. And there's a, a Premier League auction coming up sometime this year. And hindsight's a wonderful thing, but... BT overpaid last time. Sky Sky did a much smarter deal last time, and I think BT's got to work out its strategy here because because sport and BT Sport in particular has been a very expensive way, I think, of of marketing and retaining customers in broadband. The, the whole idea, though, is that that people buy bundles. So you know, when you buy your when you choose your telecoms provider, you want one who's going to give you a super fast pipe, a mobile phone as well as your broadband, and all the content that that, that you uh, you want to stream through those services. So, so to not have invested in in sport and content would have left it kind of exposed and weaker versus some of its competitors. A bit of a I bit of a tough true. choice there. I think it's true, but they've that, um, they've they've made friends with Sky now, and. Um, you know, they, they're now Sky, are, BT is allowing Sky to wholesale BT Sport and BT TV customers can get Now TV, which is a sort of, you know, Sky on the cheap option. It's decent. I've had uh, it. I've had it. It's decent. Eh? It's decent. It's, it's a, all it's, right. It's, yeah, it's, it's all fine. right. Uh, I, 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 I'm not so sure about that. Yeah, it's but right. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't pay. I, wouldn't, I don't want everything that Sky has. I don't want all those thousands of channels, yeah. movie channels. I mean, Now TV was, was fine. For what I wanted. I think now TV. I think now TV is fine for watching video on demand. Yeah, I I I watch quite a lot of football with it, and I'm I'm not that impressed with things like you know the picture quality and, and that mm. kind of thing. But that's just me. So the question is, does BT need to spend a lot on on content? I mean, they Sky can't win all the packages. Very difficult for a new entrant to come in. And just do football on a standalone business. Amazon's come in and done quite a neat little deal, picking up packages of uh, of matches around Christmas time when people tend to spend a lot on Amazon presents. I don't see. I'd be very surprised if Amazon goes all in for Premier League or anybody else like 
Dazen or, 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 or Netflix or Facebook. I just don't see it happening. So I think, I think if they can get the cost down for that, and I think that's what people are expecting, then it would put the, the consumer business in a, in a decent or better position than it is now. So whether, whether you end up getting a breakup of BT, who, who knows? But it, I, I think you know, probably, there should be plenty of corporate finances and investment banks all over this. About about breaking it up, and this deal now makes open reach <clears throat> a lot more attractive asset than it was, in my opinion. So interesting, you know, you know BT's on less than eight times earnings. Quite interesting. That's value for you. One can only imagine what has been happening in the boardroom. I mean, you know, we've been having this discussion, you and I, and and, and others in the office about what BT should look like, whether OpenReach should be spun out, where, how it can create value. One, one, can, one can only imagine that those conversations are actually happening in, in a serious context now in the boardroom, and that is perhaps what's going on with the, uh, with the chairman's departure. As you say, something has to be done. Well be. Who knows? Who knows? Well, uh, thanks, Phil. It's been, uh, been wonderful talking to you, uh, as always. Yeah, thank you, you too. Thank you all for listening, and uh, we'll be back next week.